0: And since I bought my 2016 F-150 truck, the list of standard amenities that make a truck feel like a luxury vehicle have only grown. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. On Tuesday, April 24th, 2018, Joseph James D'Angelo, 72, in what Sacramento Sheriff Scott Jones called a perfectly executed arrest, was taken into custody by local police and FBI agents when he stepped outside his Citrus Heights home, a quiet suburb of Sacramento. The man, believed to be the East Area Rapist, also known as the Golden State Killer, the Visalia Ransacker, the original Night Stalker, and the Diamond Knot Killer, had finally been captured 44 years after his crime spree began. He'd started ransacking over a hundred Sacramento area homes in 1974. He progressed from burglary to rape by 1976, raping an estimated over 50 California women and girls. And he's believed to have killed for the first time in 1975, killing 12 men and women at least by 1986. And then after 13 years of home invasion, rape, and murder, the Golden State Killer, outside of a few possible harassing phone calls to victims many years later, just seemingly vanished for over three decades. And then less than two months ago, a 72-year-old man living with his daughter and granddaughter who'd recently retired after working for 27 years at a Save Mart supermarket distribution warehouse in Roseville was arrested after DNA matched him to the crime scenes. And why did it take so many years to make that DNA match? Well, because Joseph was never on a short list of suspects. He was never on a long list of suspects. Police never came close to... Catching this sadistic piece of shit for decades, and then he was arrested thanks to some very innovative and fascinating detective work. Investigators uploaded DNA from one of the crimes to gedmatch.com. Never heard of that website? Me either. gedmatch.com is similar to ancestry.com and 23andMe and sites like that, although much less widely known. Like with a service like 23andMe or Ancestry, you provide a saliva sample for DNA testing. And then the results are only given to you and only you. The results are private. Those companies don't share your data, don't share your DNA with anyone else, which limits the amount of family tree investigation you can do because your DNA is only matched against other DNA in that one company's particular genetic database. So recently, companies like gedmatch.com have popped up so you can continue your search if you don't find what you're looking for. You can make those previously private Ancestry.com or or 23andme.com results public and possibly reach more relatives. It's like an open source search for your family tree. And what does that mean for, for law enforcement? Well, it means they can compare crime scene DNA against your DNA and anyone else's DNA that has been sent into those public sites and potentially find either the relative of a victim to assist them in body identification purposes. Or they can run the DNA of whoever committed the crime through this public database in the hopes of either locating the suspect or the relative of a suspect and then do some family tree detective work to find the actual suspect. Yeah, it just got that much harder to get away with murder. We're entering a new era of criminal investigation, and this new avenue for tracking down suspects led to the apprehension of Joseph James D'Angelo. One of his relatives happened to upload their ancestry.com results to gedmatch.com. That DNA proved to be a familial match to the Golden State Killer's DNA. And from there, detectives realized that one relative, Richard, was in the right place at the right time to have committed all those crimes. Right? Police then swabbed, I guess it be right places and right times, but you know what I'm saying? Police swabbed the driver's side handle of Joseph's car to collect a DNA sample from him. Uh, according to arrest and search warrants, released just this past Friday. This stuff is all just kind of coming in the news now. Authorities sent it in for testing, matched it to semen, recovered at some of the Golden State Killers' crime scenes, and then they showed up at his home and surprised the cold-blooded son of a bitch and brought him in. Amazing, right? Well, now that you know how part of Richard's story ends, it's still ongoing, but you know how he was caught, let's find out how his crime spree began and where, uh, you know, his story will likely go from here and how this new DNA matching technology has led to even more arrests and will likely lead to many more on this fuck that guy, we're so finally glad they caught him and we're, when we hope he rots in prison Golden State Killer Edition of Time Suck You're listening to Time Suck Happy Monday, Time Suckers are you guys ready to learn some new shit? I hope so. I love how even with a serial killer episode, we go after bonus peripheral knowledge, like how a DNA investigative technology is taking a massive leap forward thanks to the new massive DNA databases out there, thanks to companies like Ancestry.com. Knowledge, man. Let's grab as much of it as we can in the next 90 minutes or so. Well, Cult the Curious member or interesting person swinging on by to see what this is all about. I am the master sucker, the suck master general, Dan Cummins. And you are listening to Time Suck. Hail Nimrod. If you're a new listener and you want to know who Nimrod and the other characters are, listen to the last few minutes of the Edgar Allan Poe suck from this past Friday. Nimrod, Lucifina, Chikatilo, you know, and more. Explain for all the new Time Suckers. Nice nice little refresher for the rest of you. Uh, Big thank you for all the uh, new reviews and ratings online. Over 3,900 on iTunes right now. Closing in on 4,000. Uh in, in about a year and a half of, of podcasting, a little more than a year and a half now, I guess here uh on Time Suck be be 2 years at the very end of of September. Man, that's uh I'm I'm very excited by how this has grown. And all those reviews and ratings, they help so so much. Ratings, reviews, word of mouth spread the suck like nothing else. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh and big thank you to uh, the Space Lizards who signed up for the Secret Suck and more uh via via Patreon. Uh, because you know, we're over, we're at over uh, 10,000 a month again in, uh, in support. So we're giving again to a charity and this time it's one recommended by a Marine time sucker and space lizard, space lizard, Ryan Chilson sent me a wonderful letter, t-shirt patch, sticker, challenge coin, all from wonderful nonprofit called the Mendelton foundation. The Mendelton foundation is unique among uh, veteran support charities. It's run entirely by retired and active duty service members and is a uh, community first, Uh, Their goal is to eliminate military suicide through a uh, Community First Charity Second Vision. The Mendelssohn Foundation welcomes service members of all ethnicities, genders, and ages, and their loved ones at their events. Some of the events are for service members only. And we're helping them uh, keep their uh, focus on community events uh, by donating $500 this month. Uh, So thank you, Time Suckers, for spreading the suck. Thank you, Space Lizards, for supporting the show. And, uh, for us to, uh, now be able to do more than just be a podcast. So very excited to give them that donation. If you'd like to donate, go to M E N D L E T O N.com link in today's episode description. Another thank you owe to, uh, Greg Cox. That's right. Space lizard, Greg Cox, for his beautiful wood carving hanging in the suck dungeon. I'm looking at it right now and it looks amazing, man. It looks really, really good. Uh, thank you for sending that into the suck dungeon. Uh, and if you want to send something in, mail an address in today's episode description as well. And thank you to Gus. Uh, thank you to Gus Sunjin for sending some amazing cheese to the Suck Dungeon. I'm hoping I wrote your name down uh, correctly and I didn't just combine your last name with Dungeon. So I wrote it down. <laughs> Sundin. Gus, let me know. And I'll, I'll, I'll apologize next week if there was some weird uh, mishap there in the document. But I think I got it right. Thanks, uh, thanks for the cheese. Thanks to uh, whoever invented lactate pills so I can actually eat the cheese later today. Uh, relatively pain-free uh, finding out tomorrow. How funny. What pot, uh, what pods.com thinks time suck is. Apparently we made a list of uh, funniest podcasts of 2018 and the results will be up tomorrow. Will we be on the bottom? Will we be on the top? Will we be on top of your mom's bottom? We're going to find out. We're going to find out tomorrow that AMA is coming up. Uh, yeah. Tomorrow. And uh, on whatpods.com you can go there. You can create an account. You can ask me anything between one 30 and 3 PM Pacific time. and 6 p.m. Eastern time. That's tomorrow, June 5th. You know, you can ask questions like, how long does it take to create these episodes? What are my future plans for Time Suck? How do I think things are going? Uh, What am I going to be focusing on? What other projects am I working on? What do I do in my free time? How how heavy are my balls? Are they symmetrical? Uh, What are my favorite episodes? How big are my wife Lindsay's balls? Anything. Anything's up for grabs. Link for that in the episode description. Uh, Thanks to all the Phoenix Time Suckers who came out. Man, thank you for the Samurai book, Ted Samuels. Very nice. Sorry I couldn't hang for drinks. Gareth Reynolds from the Dollar Podcast was a fantastic human being, a very funny man. Glad I got to work with him. Glad I got to hang with Jimmy Wisman, who stopped by a couple nights. Uh, Jimmy Wisman from Small Town Murder. Uh, Lindsay and I had fun, man. And, uh, and this weekend, more touring. Nation's capital, D.C. and D.C. Flat Earth Tour rolls into the D.C. Draft House. June 8th and 9th. Let's make it fun. June 15th and 16th, more Flat Earth Mockery comes to Des Moines, Iowa, The Funny Bone, just uh, three shows, two nights. Going to be me and Pat House on that one. It's going to be awesome. July 12th to the 14th, Orlando Improv Live Podcast with the Mediocre Time Guys, Tom and Dan on the 15th. Comedy Store in La Jolla, California, July 20th through 22nd. Dayton, Ohio, July 27th through the 28th. More tour dates at dancummins.tv. You fucking get there. You fucking get there or I'll find you. No, I won't, but I would like you to come. And now let's, uh, let's head back to the unfortunately long life and uh, horrible, disgusting times of the very recently apprehended, probably, Golden State Killer. <music> who is Joseph James D'Angelo? The man who, while he hasn't been convicted of being the Golden State Killer, is strongly, strongly believed to be the killer. To the point that his trial feels like a formality. I mean, he hasn't entered a plea uh, yet as of me completing this research. I'm sure we're going to have a lot of updates on this one going forward. But, but you don't charge somebody with uh, 12 murders after all these years. And, and I'm sure a variety of new charges are on the way. Uh, unless you have a pretty good idea he's the guy. So maybe not the guy technically innocent until proven guilty. But a lot of evidence, a lot of evidence pointing his way, uh, like direct DNA matching to a lot of crimes kind of evidence. Uh, so operating on the premise that he is the guy, let's assume that, what do we, uh, what do we know about this son of a bitch? Not a lot, unfortunately, but I'm going to share what we do know. We know he's 72 years old now, which places his age at roughly 28 when the home ransackings began back in Vassalia, uh, roughly 30 when the rapes began in East, uh, you know, the suburbs of Sacramento and roughly 40 when the murders and rapes ended. So uh, we know where he was caught, uh, Citrus Heights. That's where four of his attacks took place over the years. Um, we know that in 1979, he was charged with shoplifting, a can of dog repellent and a hammer from a suburban Sacramento pay-and-save. That's a terrifying purchase, by the way, or, or theft, I guess, in this case. You're just, when you're swinging by to pick up a, a hammer and dog repellent, that, there's just nothing good about that combination. What the fuck are you doing with a hammer and dog repellent? I'm guessing, uh, you're, you know, you're tired of some dogs and you're going to get to repelling them and hammering them, which sounds, uh, horrific. And, uh, that shoplifting charge cost him his job as a police officer in Auburn, California. We know he works as a police officer in Exeter and in Auburn between 1973 and 1979. We also know, just found out this, that in 1978, Michael Motherfucker McDonald sang lead vocals on the Doobie Brothers' number one Billboard Pop Singles chart hit, What a Fool Believes. What a fool believes, he sees, well, he the power, to reason away, what seems to be. I can't, I can't go any higher. I can't go any higher. I think I started at the wrong octave, but you you get what I'm doing. I should have started an octave lower. Uh, Michael McDonald can sing at nine different octaves. Do you, I don't even think that's possible for a human being, but I'm going to throw out nine. Man, it feels uh, good to McDonald, you sons of bitches. I felt right. felt necessary, but it has nothing to do with uh, today's tale. Uh, Joseph worked in Exeter, California from 1973 to 1976. And in 1976, he, uh, he joined the Auburn Police Force. Auburn is a little former gold rush town of about 13,000 people on the outskirts of Sacramento in the suburbs where many of the uh, Golden State killer rapes and murders occurred in the mid and late 1970s. The vast majority of the crimes would take place in Sacramento County. Uh, Exeter, smaller, former railroad stop town of about 10,000 people in the San Joaquin Valley, under 30 miles from Sequoia National Park and 240 miles south of Sacramento, 210 miles north of Los Angeles, big agricultural area. Uh, It's also the home of Svenhard Bakery's only distribution plant. We have a little Svenhard Bakery place in uh, Spokane, not far from Coeur d'Alene. So many pastries getting kicked out nationwide from Exeter's largest employer. So many breakfast claws, raisin snails, cheese curls, berry horns, orange crinkles, cream puffs, huckleberry blinces, cream snatches, dingle drips, maple rooms, powder weasels, other shit I can't enjoy because it sends my blood sugar into an angry, dizzy spiral of madness. Uh, everything I made up uh, was made up after Barry Horn. by the way. Uh, Raisin Snail, though, is is apparently a real thing. They all sounded made up to me when I was reading about them. So why not throw in some other ones? You can't buy a Powder Weasel that I know of or Maple Rune or Dingle Drip. Uh, yeah, Raisin Snail, apparently that was real. Never never heard of that one. If I swing through Exeter, I'll give it a shot. Exeter is only 15 minutes from Visalia a huge agricultural hub from for uh, Tulare County home of over 130,000 people where the Visalia ransacker, the home invader linked to the East area rapist who was then linked to the golden state killer. All those monikers belonging to the uh, criminal who uh, the press also dubbed the original night stalker because he snuck into people's homes and terrorized California's families prior to Richard, the night Stalker Ramirez doing uh, you know, very similar things. Well, The Vasalia ransacker ransacked the shit out of over 100 homes, and uh, and during the ransackings, one guy, Claude Snelling, was killed. So Joseph James D'Angelo, J.J.D., was in the right places at the right times in addition to having the exact right DNA. Makes him look pretty guilty. What else do we know? According to the Sacramento Bee, D'Angelo was born in New York State, graduated from a high school east of Sacramento, enlisted in the Navy, fought in Vietnam working as a damage control man aboard a warship, the USS Canberra. And uh, he returned and got a bachelor's degree in criminal justice from somewhere. Information truly is just coming in about this dude. Uh, A man who worked with him for years at the grocery distribution center told the B that D'Angelo was, quote, a regular Joe, uh, except that he never smiled. Uh, Yeah, He he, he looks, and and based on neighbor reports, seemed like a very, very angry dude, which also fits with the MO of his crimes. His crimes were just fucking rage-based. Kevin... Uh, Tapia, who said he lived near D'Angelo for 20 years, said neighbors could often hear D'Angelo yelling in his home. Uh, in recent years, he said D'Angelo had become a recluse, sometimes yelling at neighbors for minor annoyances, like mowing the grass too early in the morning. He's not like an overly creepy person, he said, but he definitely, you know, kept to himself and was kind of different. There was definitely some concern. Uh, neighbors also said that he was meticulous. He mowed his lawn to exacting detail. God, this guy would have fucking hated me. I would have been, if I would have lived next door to him. Uh, he didn't murder anybody supposedly for the last, you know, like three decades. I think he would have made an exception. I think he would have at least tried to murder me based on my, uh, careless lawn maintenance. Uh, you know, and just, uh, disregard for what neighbors care. Think about it. Uh, (laughs) I don't just let it grow wild, but you know, the, the suck comes before the lawn and, uh, that probably doesn't make my neighbors happy. But anyway, he was prone to outbursts, yelling curse words. He liked uh, the F word a lot. One neighbor told the Associated Press. That part about him, I don't mind, man. The the killing and raping, terrible neighbor qualities. The ransacking, terrible neighbor quality. The cursing, uh, the lots of cursing, the anger, kind of entertaining, kind of entertaining. Um, We do know also that prior to the DNA match, Joseph was, uh, excuse me, never a suspect for the crimes. He was reportedly completely shocked and surprised when he was arrested. Uh, We know no one ever seemed to suspect him, including coworkers who worked with him for years in Roseville. None of his actions in the workplace would have led us to suspect any connections uh, to crimes being attributed to him, a Save Mart spokesman told the Sacramento Bee. Those interviewed from his police days, including the man who fired him from the force for shoplifting, described him again as a regular Joe. Uh, last thing I was able to find out about him of note uh, as of this recording is that back in 1973, uh, just before his crimes began, uh, this is very interesting, he had recently been permanently denied to qualify medically for Siamese twin separation surgery. Yes, for the entirety of his crime spree, Joseph was not technically alone. His Siamese twin, Jeff Jason D'Angelo, was and is connected to Joseph at the waist. They share the same lower body. So detectives are now trying to determine if Jeff should also be charged with at least some of the rapes. And that is fucking crazy talk. That is fucking lunacy. I made that up. Uh, Clearly, I made that up. Can you imagine, though? Can you imagine? I was thinking about that. I, I popped in my brain because somehow some Siamese twin thing popped up. But like uh, it was one of those clickbait things underneath an article when I was researching an image, it was a picture of Siamese twins. So I was like, oh yeah, I, I forgot about that. Like, like what if, like you, <laughs> you were attached to somebody who just wanted to do a bunch of mayhem? You know, like what if, like, a, your, what if your Siamese twin wanted to kill and rape, but you didn't? What if they were able to overpower your mental control over your shared body? And you're just along for the fucking naughty ride. Reminds me of a Stephen King book called The Dark Half. It's insane. So, uh, I don't know. If that ever happens, you can be sure we'll suck on it. Uh, now we also know that, uh, no. We also know that Joseph was engaged to one woman and married to another in 1973. That's what I was driving at. Shortly before the crimes began, which also is suspicious to me. Engagement breaks off, and then the crimes get get going. When uh, when J.J.D. was was 24, yeah, he, uh, he was engaged to a woman— and uh, who lived in Auburn, Bonnie Jean Colwell, according to an announcement in the uh, Auburn Journal. They both attended Sierra College, Community College, in Northern California. They never got married. I'm guessing because Joseph was already married in 1973. Mister D'Angelo, then 27, had married Sharon Huddle. Um, wait a minute. I just uh, I completely I, no no. He wasn't 27. He was uh, he would have been 23 there. I don't know. Uh, you know what? Forget about his ages. Forget about his ages. I did some crazy math. Forget about, it uh, doesn't matter. <laughs> he was 24, 23, 27. Uh, I got the years right. I think I tried to do some crazy math there. 1973, no. He uh, he married Sharon Huddle, who was 20 at the time. And uh, I believe he was 23. And um, and lived in Citrus Heights. Citrus Heights is less than 20 miles from Auburn. Man, the ball's on this guy. You're getting your engagement notice posted in the paper in the town next to over from the town you already live in with your wife. Uh, (laughs) some witnesses had reported uh, hearing the East area rapist utter the word mommy during some of the assaults, although others think it was actually Bonnie, the name of the Auburn woman he was once engaged to, according to Slate magazine. So it makes you just think like, did a broken off engagement send him into some type of misogynistic rage? You know, did he, did he pull a Ted Bundy where he just couldn't get over that one relationship? Well, Sharon huddled D'Angelo, his wife became a lawyer and went on to help found the National Coalition coalition against surrogacy, a Washington group started in 1987, pushed for legislation to outlaw surrogacy, which is kind of a weird thing to me to try and eliminate. Uh, her brother, James Huddle, said that the couple raised three daughters, but uh, separated at some point. Mr. Huddle said he was stunned by uh, Mr. Jangel's arrest. And again, some of the stuff, sorry if it does feel uh, not as polished as it usually does. It's just like a lot of these, like some of these articles were coming in as like this morning. So I was trying to add things last minute. Uh, to the information because it's all it's all coming out now. Apparently Richard and Sharon may uh, still be technically married. It's unclear based on multiple reports. Some news outlets report him as married. Others report him as divorced. It seems to be that he is at the very least separated for a long time. Uh, The three kids he has do appear to all be girls, which makes the raping that much more heinous to me. His first daughter, according to one report I read, was born in September 81. Second daughter born in November 86. Third daughter born in May 89. <clears> hmm. <throat> Excuse me, Grant Gorman, who grew up in the neighborhood where D'Angelo lived, told the Sacramento Bee that he avoided playing with D'Angelo's daughters while they were young because D'Angelo had an anger management problem. And if he is, in fact, the uh, Golden State Killer, uh, yeah, huge anger problem. Uh, He said this guy just had this anger that was pouring out of him. He'd just be yelling at nothing in the backyard, pacing in circles. Uh Uh-huh. The girls seem to have thrived in spite of their furious father. Uh, According to online records, one of D'Angelo's daughters is a doctor in the Midwest. Another is a PhD candidate at a university somewhere. Uh, The latter daughter is a graduate teaching assistant who wrote online that her research is centered around understanding how unique message characteristics affect information processing in online environments. So smart, man. How crazy is that? The uh, three brainiacs came out of this man's fucking demon seed. After his arrest, his poor daughter's. Uh, all of which, again, yeah, seem to be kicking ass, have shut down their social media, social media accounts, and I don't blame them a bit. I mean, who wants their inbox flooded with, did your dad really rape all those women? Just, you know, those kind of direct messages. That would be terrible. You know, you're out there doing your best in the world. You're a doctor. You got a PhD. You know, you're working on important social media research, and all of a sudden, all anyone cares about is, uh, you know, what you knew or didn't know about your raping, murdering father. And you yourself are just processing the fact that he is that monster. Like, you just found out. You know, until up, up until your 30s, you know, you just thought he was a grumpy dude who, you know, dropped a lot of F-bombs in the yard. Uh, his daughters are three more victims, man. That's to mess you up. I'd be consumed with my memories if this was happening to me. Just trying to remember how he acted, you know, when he was home the day after a reported rape or the morning after a reported murder. God, that would be a mind fuck to think about your dad showing up and clapping at a softball game hours after supposedly raping and killing some young girl. Jesus. Uh, not sure which daughter he was living with at the time of his arrest, uh, if he was, in fact, living with his daughter, as uh, outlets have reported. It's going to really mess her up. My God. Uh, and we also know that uh, that uh, uh, J.J.D. showed up at his, at his initial court dates in a wheelchair, acting like he could barely stand, You know, soft-spoken, acting like he was extremely fragile. Apparently, this is a ruse. Uh, apparently he was, uh, zipping around town at high speeds on a motorcycle as recently as last week, like, like the week before he was apprehended yeah, and, uh, very recently retired detective Paul holes. We'll talk about him later. The man whose DNA sleuthing led to, uh, the capture of the, of the GSK man who spent more than two decades searching for the killer says, uh, he's a dangerous man. He is not the decrepit individual you see in a wheelchair at arraignment. He is a spry 72 year old who is very physically capable. He has numerous guns registered to him. More information, again, will be, uh, I am sure, pouring in about Joseph over the next few years. Uh, You know, very soon we'll know for sure, for sure, if JJD is the guy. And if he is, we'll know all about him then, I'm sure. I'm sure there'll be several biographies, exclusive interviews, all that kind of shit. For now, what we do know is a lot about the crimes that the fucking monster posing as a human known as the Golden State Killer committed. Let's take a look at those crimes now in a time suck Timeline. Trap on those boots, soldier. We're marching down a time suck timeline. Quick note on today's timeline. Uh, on the days I'm gonna mention, crimes definitely did occur, and according to police reports, eyewitnesses, and sometimes the victims themselves, they did occur as I'm reporting them. Uh again, just I know I've already said it a bunch, but Joseph James D'Angelo has not been found guilty of these crimes, uh, or actually any of these crimes, you know. Uh, or I said, yeah, all of these crimes or any of these crimes. These are all crimes that currently no one has been found guilty of in a court of law. But these are all crimes believed by law enforcement to be the work of the Vesalia Ransacker, a.k.a. the East Area Rapist, a.k.a. the Golden State Killer. Uh, DNA evidence does link the Golden State Killings to the East Area Rapes, to the Vesalia ransackings, But again, DNA evidence, you know, it's not like it was found at all of the possibly a 130-ish ransackings believed to be attributed to him. DNA was found at some, and a common kind of modus operandi uh, at, the other, uh, at the other crime scenes pointed to the same man. Uh, so no more disclaimers. Okay, here we go. Tuesday, March 19th, 1974, 50 bucks was stolen from a piggy bank in Visalia. A little, little bit of a test crime, it seems. Joseph would have been a uh, 28- or 29-year-old local police officer at this time. Uh, probably just trying to figure out if he could actually, you know, get away with the break in in, uh, in April of 1974, a few more homes burglarized two in one night on a Saturday night, April six, the majority of break-ins would occur late on a Saturday night, followed by Friday night and Sunday night weekends either worked better for the ransacker schedule, or he thought it was safer to lurk through people's homes on the weekends. He'd often hit up multiple houses in one night. Hitting up to uh, five per night it was actually fairly common. On November 30th, 1974, he actually hit up 12 uh, after hitting up uh, two the night before. Clearly wanted to uh, hit that dozen mark. It had to have been kind of like a video game for him. He wanted the uh, high score. A dozen just has a has a better ring to it than 11. That's a that's a lot of homes to ransack, and it uh, and it is pretty easy to link these burglaries to one criminal because they were very unusual. He didn't take objects that would bring him the most money as as almost all burglars would do. Like, uh, like a Richard Ramirez, the night soccer, you know, he used to take stuff like cash, jewelry, whatever he thought would bring him the most money. You know, like uh, modern electronics for the time. You know, stuff that he could fence to get cash to go buy some coke with. He was more typical in that way, if you recall, from his suck. Well, the Vaselia ransacker preferred personal items. He liked to take stuff like family photos and wedding rings. You know, he'd leave behind electronic stuff, leave behind non sentimental jewelry, would often leave behind cash, you know, that he could have easily grabbed. In taking, uh, in addition, excuse me, to taking personal stuff, he'd also just ruin shit of sentimental value. Uh, like he could have easily been nicknamed the Vesalia asshole, the Vesalia, come on, man. Maybe the Vesalia dude, what the fuck? Because he'd do stuff like cut up family photos. Smash the frames, pour orange juice or whatever else was in the fridge all over people's closets just to try and ruin their clothes. You just trash the house indiscriminately, walking around breaking shit. Uh, Take underwear out of drawers, spread it all over the house, especially women's underwear. Most of the pictures he messed up were pictures of women as well. Uh, There was always a focus on on, on the women's items. He also uh, take and use whatever lubricant was laying around the house, especially apparently Vaseline intensive hand care lotion. Uh, No semen was found at the ransacking crimes, so he was was a sneaky jerk. Uh, Other commonalities from the various crime scenes included attempting to pry open multiple points of entry, particularly windows. uh, Leaving multiple points of escape open, especially windows, as well as house, garage, and garden doors. Moving window screens that he'd removed onto beds or or into bedrooms. Placing warning items, such as dishes or bottles, against doors and on door handles so he could... He could hear if someone was coming in after him and wearing gloves uh, was another thing given the uh, absence of fingerprint evidence from these crimes. Scaling fences and moving uh, through uh, kind of off-the-road paths such as parks, walkways, ditches, and trails, those were all part of uh, his M.O. On September 11th, 1975, the home invasions took a dark turn. Roughly 18 months into the crime spree, the ransacker broke into the home of 45-year-old Claude Snelling at 5:32. Whitney Lane, now South Whitney Street, and Vesalia Snelling was a journalism professor at the College of the Sequoias. he previously chased a prowler, discovered under his daughter's window, uh, around 10 p.m. on February 5th, 1975, his daughter, Beth Snelling, was a 16-year-old cheerleader at Mount Whitney High School. So uh, this, this, this may have been the second time that the ransacker had lurked around his home. Well, this night, Claude is awakened a little after 2 a.m. by some strange noises. He gets out of bed, leaves his bedroom. Shouts into the darkness, you know, whoever's, you know, broken into his house, runs through an open back door, confronts a ski mask intruder in his carport, attempting to kidnap his daughter who'd been subdued with threats of being stabbed or shot. Snelling is then shot twice, staggers back into the house to his wife, later dies on the way to the hospital. After the shooting, the assailant hits Beth with his gun, like pistol whips her, kicks her and then flees the scene, leaving behind a stolen bicycle at 615 Redwood Street. Well, Beth recently spoke about her father for the first time publicly since 1975. Uh, She remembers spending hours hiking together with him in the mountains, traveling home together at the end of the day, her on a bike, him on foot. He was an ideal father and a great man, she said. He loved me and my brothers and my mom very much. According to a 1975 local paper article, more than 500 mourners attended Snelling's funeral. It was one of the largest in the history of Miller's Chapel, owner Paul Miller said. Uh, the Visalia Police Department committed more resources to apprehending the ransacker after this murder, and a $4,000 reward was posted. Nighttime stakeouts were set up near houses that had previously been prowled, but the ransackings continued. Uh, to date, no DNA evidence ties Giangelo to Snelling's murder, and authorities have not included his death into the official count of 12 murders he's currently charged with. However, authorities and his daughter, daughter Beth, uh, do firmly believe he is the guy. And then less than a year after this attack, uh, the rapes began. June 18th, 1976, 5 a.m., 23-year-old woman in Rancho Cordova, a Sacramento suburb about 15 miles east of downtown, makes a 911 call. She speaks to the receiver as best she uh, could from where she lied on the floor, her hands still tied behind her back so tightly she'd lost circulation. She reports a home invasion and a rape. A man wearing a mask had attacked her. The mask was white and made of a coarse, knit-like material, with eye holes and a seam down the middle, but it fit very tight against his face. It was an odd mask, she said. He was about 5'9", moderately muscular, wearing a navy blue short sleeve T-shirt and gray canvas gloves. Uh, He was holding a knife, and he wasn't wearing pants when she saw him, and, this is a detail from her testimony, already had a boner when she first saw him. What in the fuck? Man, that would be the absolute worst. Like, like when you see a masked man coming at you with a weapon in your home, In the middle of the night, you know nothing good is coming. Like, he's definitely going to take some of your shit. Maybe going to break some of your stuff. Probably going to rough you up. And and you may get raped and or murdered. Like, you have to know that. But when he comes in with a boner, walks in with the boner, no pants, you got to know for sure you're getting raped. All the other stuff may also happen. But he for sure is going to do something horrible with that boner. Uh, I'm pretty sure only rapists walk into a stranger's home with no pants, a knife, and a boner. Uh what else would they be doing? Like what else would they have in their mind? Just, you know, I guess it could be just some lunatic just, "Hey, hey, do you know how to get rid of one of these things because I just I got it got really hard and I and I stood up so I I took my pants off to give it more room, but it's not going away and I don't like it." And I was thinking about cutting it off with this knife. Is that how you get rid of these? Do you cut them off with knives? That's the best you could hope for. The best you could hope for is a dude who wants to cut his own dick off and just isn't sure if that's what you're supposed to do. Well, this guy didn't want to cut his own dick off, unfortunately. What he did want to do was hold the four-inch knife against her throat, and he put baby oil on his penis uh, before he raped her. Also weird. Also weird. He rummaged and ransacked. Uh, she could hear little uh, knocker handles on, like, side tables and living room clattering. as he's, he's opening drawers. He's speaking in a low, guttural whisper with a clenched jaw. By the time he was done, uh, a one-inch cut near her right eyebrow bled from where he'd pressed uh, the knife against her, ordering her not to make a sound. He gotten in by moving a bird bath under her window and trying to cut the phone lines. Turned out he had cut some of them, but not all of them. So at least she was able to call the police after he left. And again, the the baby oil also another weird detail. Why would he put that on first? Like, you know, like, Hey, Hey, I'm going to rape you, but I don't look, I don't want it to hurt any more than it needs to. So I'm going to lube up first for you. Like, was it that, or was it like, Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna rape you, but I am in a real fucking hurry. That's why I showed up pantless and hard, and I'm lubed, I'm ready to go. It's very bizarre. Very, 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 very bizarre. Uh July 17th, 1976, a teenage girl was raped in Carmichael, just north of Rancho Cordova, a little over ten miles from downtown Sacramento. And again on the uh on the east side there. Uh August 29th, nineteen seventy six, another woman is raped in Rancho Cordova. She woke up to find the uh, Golden State Killer cutting her window screen with a knife. That is a terrible way to wake up. Uh, September 4th, 1976, a woman in Citrus Heights is raped in her home. October 5th, 1976, early in the morning, a woman is cuddling in bed with her three-year-old son at home in Rancho Cordova. She heard a light switch on, uh, go off in the house. Her husband had left for work minutes before. It's was about 6.30 a.m., so she assumed it was him. Man had entered her house through her son's bedroom window. He entered her bedroom wearing a greenish-brown ski mask. He brutally rapes her but doesn't harm her son. Jane and her husband have been burglarized two weeks before the rape. The East Area Rapist, a.k.a. the Golden State Killer, clearly been case in her house. He just – and he got weird here too. Of course, he uh, at one point he asked her, he goes, is this like the captains? Because her husband was a captain in the Air Force. Like he's asking that as he's raping her. He told her to shut up at least 50 times, she said. But then when he was raping her, he had other demands, snapping at her, quote, like a director to his actress. Put some emotion in that, he ordered, or I'll use my knife. It's fucking psycho. After this attack, local law enforcement knows there is a serial rapist in the area. Several detectives are now tasked with finding who uh, who has been uh, named the East Area Rapist. What a fucking creep, man. Is this like the captain's? Uh, No, Uh, the captain does not have to threaten my life uh, with a knife. You pathetic fuck. I am actually attracted to him Uh, on October 18th, 1976. The ear, uh, we use that acronym to kind of shorten things up, attacked twice in 24 hours. One of the victims was a 32 year old housewife who lived in an affluent part of Carmichael, another East Area again suburb. Uh, The other victim did live in Rancho Cordova. After these two attacks, law enforcement publicly announces their hunt for the East Area rapist to the press, offers the first reward for information, leading to his arrest of $2,500. On November 10th, 1976, same day the Sacramento Bee runs a follow up story that says East Area rapist, fear grips serene neighborhoods. A man in a leather hood enters the window of a house in Citrus Heights, sneaks up on a 16-year-old girl watching TV alone in the den, points a knife at her, and issues a chilling warning. Make one move and you'll be silent forever and I'll be gone in the dark. Ear then takes her outside the house, leads her down an embankment to a cement drainage ditch about 20 feet wide, about 10 feet deep. They walk about a uh, half mile west to an old willow tree. The man in the mask then asks her, don't you go to American River College? And when she answers no, he presses his knife against her throat, asks again. She again says no, and then he, and then he leaves and he lets her go. The girl later told detectives she resembled a neighbor who had gone to American River College, a local community college. Uh, she describes this guy as, as wearing black square-toed shoes, small flashlight, small enough that it disappeared into his left hand, uh, military fatigue pants, a leather hood that extended beneath the ears shirt, had slits for the eyes and the mouth. Kind of hood that like an arc welder would use that they wear under one of their helmets. And again, how odd is this guy? She wasn't the girl he had been fixated on, so he lets her go. So clearly, you know, his his rapes were part of some very specific fantasy. Uh, It doesn't seem to be random if he's doing stuff like that at all. Uh, On December 18th, 1976, a teenage girl was raped in Fair Oaks. Another East Area suburb, uh, January 18th, 1977, a housewife is raped in Sacramento while her husband is away. And their 1970 Chevy Malibu is stolen. Uh, January 24th, 1977, the headline of the Sacramento Bee reads, Rapist Strikes Again, 14th time in f- 15 months after a woman's rape near Madison Avenue in Sunrise Boulevard in Citrus Heights, a suburb about 15 miles northeast of downtown Sacramento. The 25-year-old woman was bound with a rope and threatened with an ice pick. On February 2nd, 1977, a 30-year-old woman in Carmichael uh, lied bound, blindfolded, and gagged on her bed. After listening for a long time, And hearing nothing, she worked the gag out of her mouth and called out for her seven-year-old daughter, whom she sensed was still in the the room. Are you okay, she asked. Her daughter shushed her, saying, Mama, be quiet. Somebody then pushed down on the woman's bed abruptly and let go as if to tell her he was still there. This is the kind of shit he did all the time to further terrorize his victims. He'd let them believe he had left their house. Then just as their bodies would slacken, uh, their numb fingers, you know, kind of inching for their ligatures. He would shock them with a sudden noise or movement just to fuck with them. Add a little extra psychological damage after already raping them. He is just a fucking complete sadist. Uh, tips start pouring into the police station around this time. Most of them are not helpful, uh, clearly, since he wasn't caught anywhere around this time. Some of the tips were insane. I'm always amazed at what people will send into the police. Uh, like when I read about police tips, just, just the fucking weirdest stuff. Like, like the weirdest one that came in that I found <laughs> regarding this. Is a woman called called into the police about an employee at a local uh, grocery store, and the man's penis? She said knowingly. So apparently they were intimate. Uh, was quote very rough, like it's been used to death. That's what she said. His penis is very rough, <laughs> like it's been used to death. Holy shit! Why are you banging some dude with a very rough penis? That that sounds <laughs> that sounds that sounds more like he just doesn't know how to use lube or he has some kind of skin condition as, as opposed to overuse. Like, uh, I went through some phases when I was younger, when I easily jerked off five plus times a day, like easy. And my dick, while exhausted, while it was extremely sensitive after some of those marathon beatings, uh, it was never rough. It was certainly never very rough. If, if you have a very rough dick, you need, you need to see a doctor, uh, or, you might want to try a new product from one of today's sponsors. Today's Time Suck is brought to you by Mama Ridgeway's Clean Ween. Clean Ween is special soap. It's a special soap bar designed with a pristine penis in mind. It has a hole in the middle that allows you to literally fuck your ween clean. That's what we're going to say in the infomercial. Fuck your ween clean. Tiny invisible cleanliness crystals within Clean Ween break down and remove dirt, cold sores, syphilis shankers, anal warts, carpenter ants. Barnacles and more as you push your penis back and forth, limp or hard, through the soap hole, squeezing and cleaning your ween just like Mama Ridgeway wants. Order now and get a free bottle of Rough Be Gone dick lotion for the man with a handful of calluses and a very loose grip. No one likes a very rough dick, so put the silky smooth back in your schlong. Head to Mama Ridgeway's clean ween. Doc, get the hell out of here. That was not today's sponsor or real product. It's a short break from the darkness and horror that is the Golden State Killer's timeline. And uh, I got to say, you know, some people don't like it, but sometimes I make myself, you know, laugh. Uh, I definitely cracked myself up with barnacles. I don't know why. Why would you have a barnacle on your dick? I don't know. It's very funny to me. Okay. February 7th, 1977. Another rape occurs in Citrus Heights uh, on February 16th. Another murder almost occurs at 1030 p.m., A family settled into their home on Ripon Court in the Sacramento neighborhood of College Glen, seven, eight miles east of downtown. Suddenly, they hear a crash that came from the backyard. It was the family's electric smoker. They saw a figure uh, running through their backyard after the smoker fell down. son impulsively took off after this figure. His father grabbed a flashlight, followed him through the side door. The dad found himself trailing behind as he watched his son chase a blonde-haired man. As the father reached the crest of the fence, uh, a loud pop sounded. His son fell backward onto the lawn. I've been shot, he cried out as his father attended to him. Another shot followed, the shooter missing both men. A short time later, an ambulance arrived and rushed the son to the hospital. The bullet entered his stomach, left multiple holes in his intestines, bladder, and rectum, and at least he lived. After surgery, he described the prowler as a white male between 25 and 30 years old, 5'9 to 5'10, with heavy legs and sandy blonde neck-length hair, wearing a watch cap, a windbreaker, Levi's cords, and tennis shoes. Now, I'm not going to say that an electric smoker was the reason the son ended up getting shot. But had the family been using a sturdy, solidly crafted Weber grill, there's a good chance no one gets shot, which brings me to today's first real sponsor. TimeSuck is brought to you today by Amerigas. America and gas, finally combined into one all American, all gaseous company. Get your grill on with Amerigas Propane Exchange this summer. And do it on a new free Weber grill you've won thanks to Time Suck. That's right. Register to win it at MyTimeSuckGrill.com. That's M-Y-T-I-M-E-S-U-C-K-G-R-I-L-L.com. Enter your name, email address. That's it. The contest runs through the 4th of July. So you have no excuse not to try and win a brand new Weber Spirit 2 E210 2-Burner Propane Gas Grill. $400 grill for free. And, uh, and did you know that Weber grills are made in America? They are, American-made. american, american eaten burgers, hot dogs. And if you must, American veggie patties can also be grilled and shoved into your gullet thanks to this product. You can pick up your Amerigas propane tanks at your local Home Depot, Dollar General, many other stores nationwide. The winner will be announced at Friday, July 6th. Again, exchange your propane tanks at Home Depot's, Dollar General's, 7 elevens Many more stores. Enter to win a new Weber grill by going to mytimesuckgrill.com. Okay, and now back again to the opposite of barbecue fun times. Uh, the following month, on March 8th, another rape occurs near Robertson and Whitney Avenues in Sacramento. The ear forced open a sliding glass window, blindfolded, and gagged his victim. Also on March 8th, 1977, the Sacramento Bee ran the headline, Rape May Be Linked in Series. Uh, the article included the information, the East area rapist has never attacked while there was a man in the house. Although occasionally there may have been children. And if there was ever a question about whether the, the East area rapist was reading his press that was put to rest after this article was published because his next victim while, while, you know, like the very next one was a teenage girl. After that, he targeted heterosexual couples almost exclusively 11 in a row. And, uh, you know, from that point forward, couples would remain the main focus of his attacks on March 18th. A 1977 16-year-old high school student is raped in Rancho Cordova after she returns home to pick up some clothes before spending the night with girlfriends. She was just coming home from her part-time job at Kentucky Fried Chicken, just dropped off uh, her takeout bag on the counter, picked up the phone to call her friend when a man wearing a green ski mask with the center cut came into the room with a hatchet raised above his head. Also on March 18th, Sheriff's Department receives three phone calls between 4.15 and 5 p.m. I'm the ear, a male said laughing, and then hung up. Second call was the repeat of the first. And the third, I'm the East Area Rapist. I have my next victim stocked, and you guys can't catch me. <clears throat> Excuse me, less than two weeks later, there is another rape near Madison and Main Avenues in Orangevale. This time, he attacks his first couple. The ear introduces a new technique that he would continue to use for the rest of his rapes. The first couple he targeted uh, awoke to a bright, square-lens flashlight shining uh, directly into their eyes. He signals to the woman... Ordering her to tie up her boyfriend, when the male is bound, the ear places a cup and saucer on his back and says, I hear the cup rattle or bed springs make any noise, I'll shoot everybody in the house. To the woman, he remarks, I was in the army and I fucked a lot while I was there. Okay. Uh, This new, so clearly he's very inadequate about his uh, sexual performances and just uh, doesn't have very. Very, very high confidence in sexual abilities. Uh, this new technique caused many to speculate that he was, in fact, military trained, though, as he was skilled at moving quietly, laying in wait. And the dishes trick, I guess, is a known jungle warfare tactic. Uh, the sheriff's department brought in an army colonel trained in special forces techniques to help them understand the ear's tactics. The major point in training is that of patience, the colonel told them. The specially trained person can and will sit in one position for hours if necessary and will not move. Also, the ear's sensitivity to noise. He often turned off air conditioning and heating units to hear better, uh, was a skill honed in special forces personnel. My God, man, can you imagine trying to balance a cup and saucer on your back as you listen to your wife or girlfriend be raped? If Joseph did it, I I, I hope he gets shanked in the fucking neck in prison. That old piece of shit. I, I, I hope he gets shanked. You know what? Ideally, I hope he gets shanked in the neck with someone's dick. Ideally, his own dick. I hope someone cuts his dick off. Then somehow is able to stab him in the neck with it. Just death by dick. That's what this monster deserves. (sighs) Another rape occurs near Madison and uh, Manzanita Avenues in Sacramento on April 15th, 1977. He assaults a 19-year-old woman in her home between 2.30 and 4 a.m. By the end of uh, April, his count is up to at least 17 victims. He's averaging two a month. He was always described as white in his late teens or 20s, about 5'9", with a medium athletic build, always in some sort of mask. Forced angry whisper, clenched jaw. Uh, when he got upset, his voice rose to a higher pitch, and he's also consistently described as having a small penis. I, I love that. I love that that is a a detail that, that was actually uh, – ended up being leaked to the press. Maybe, maybe he was as mad about his little dick as uh, Chikatilo was about his limp dick. Just oh, look at look the at pathetic Golden State Killer with tiny American penis. Chico Till would rather have limp shamecock of normal length and healthy girth for strong Russian man than have rock hard California pinky penis. Limp or hard, uh, pinky penis, uh, please no pussy. Ah, uh, man, what are the odds? That we have uh, another weird dick killer to be talking about here on the suck. Uh, I like I liked the higher pitch note about his voice as well. I, won- I wonder if that's tied to his little dick. Like, I wonder if his voice would rise in pitch when one of his victims would notice how tiny his dick was. Just, don't look at my dick. There's nothing wrong with it. It's a healthy penis. I am a put a healthy penis. Don't look at my dick. Maybe it's the, it's the fucking crack guy. It's the crack lady all over you. Now it's, now, now with tiny dick. Oh, the Sacramento Sheriff's Office was so desperate to catch him uh, by this point. Don't look at my dick. It's healthy. The, they even worked briefly with the local psychic. This is, this is when you know you're getting desperate to catch somebody. They choose to work with a psychic who uh, – <laughs> Jesus – who said that if she ate – if she would eat raw hamburger and then chant, she could possibly get in touch with his biorhythm. Uh, surprise, surprise. It does not work at all. She does not get in touch with uh, anything to do with him. She probably does get in touch with some uh, E. coli, maybe some salmonella. Uh, I would have loved to have been in the briefing meeting while the detectives were working with this particular psychic uh detective smith jackson any updates from the psychic uh nothing sarge did she eat the raw meat Uh, she did sir and still nothing uh nothing happened as far as connecting to the rapist sir uh she did become violently ill she threw up everywhere that caused one of the rookies to throw up which then caused some guy walking by to throw up and then i threw up a tiny bit into my mouth and then what happened detective I, i swallowed it sir good work smith you and jackson are excellent detectives since we've seemed to hit a dead end with the meat psychic i want you guys to go ahead And uh, get in touch with the crime mime. And if you can't uh, get any clues from the crime mime, I want you to contact the clue juggler. And uh, if that doesn't work, I want you to get a hold of the guy who claims he can generate new leads by holding his breath underwater for more than three minutes at a time. Oh, man. May 3rd, 1977. The ear strikes again with the rape in College Green Station, neighborhood of Sacramento, about nine miles southeast of downtown. So strange to me, he has yet to travel west of downtown Sacramento for a single crime. Uh, The abrupt glare of a of a flashlight wakes a woman and her husband, a man who was a major in the air force around 3. AM uh, the ear acts like someone's training to appear tough, a bad actor who takes a uh, gulping breaths in an attempt to seem angry and unhinged man. Uh, not that like any of these crimes are better or worse than the others, but the the guy who's a major in the air force to be there when his wife is raped. I, I just would imagine that that's a very masculine dude. And that would you know be extra hard on his ego. Fuck. Uh, Two days later, May 5th, another rape occurs near Madison and Main Avenues in Orangevale, that suburb 20 miles northeast of downtown Sacramento. Holds up a woman and her husband at gunpoint outside their home, uh, then rapes her while her two children sleep before ransacking the house. He performs at one point a brutal rape followed by a break to eat Ritz crackers in the kitchen. Just a total and complete sociopath. No empathy for others at all. Just going to take a little, little rape break to enjoy some Ritz crackers. Uh, On May 13th, a family in Citrus Heights hears somebody on the roof. Squad uh, cars arrive within minutes, and the roof creeper is gone. But then the next night, a block over, a young waitress and her husband, a restaurant manager, are the next victims. On May 14th, that's right, another rape occurs in Citrus Heights. He confronts a couple at gunpoint in their driveway before raping the woman from about 4 a.m. until 5.15 a.m. Jesus. At this point, Sacramento homeowners are concerned enough about this son of a bitch to start cutting down trees. Uh, getting rid of shrubbery in their yards so they don't have any, uh, you know, this guy doesn't have any place for cover. Uh, floodlights are being bought in record numbers for people's homes. Nearly 3,000 guns are sold in Sacramento County between January and May. Some couples are starting to sleep in shifts. Uh, one of them stationed on the living room couch, you know, sometimes a rifle pointed at the window. Man, I get it. I, I cannot imagine how paranoid I would be if I knew there was a serial rapist lurking around Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Uh, I'd hope I'd sit in my living room for at least a couple hours every night with a loaded gun on my lap, just, you know, Praying that he picks my house in that moment, so I can rid the world of a fucking monster. How how terrible just to stew in fear like that. It, it really is crazy when you think about the scope of the damage these people do. It's like it's not just just the victims they actually attack. It's like this guy is terrorizing an entire fucking city, you know. In addition to the committing the crimes themselves. On May seventeenth, nineteen seventy-seven, uh, the day I was born, the one and only time I touched my mom's vagina that I know of, back in Syringa Hospital in Grangeville, Idaho. Uh, a town I was born in only because Riggins is uh, far too small to support a hospital of its own. Another rape occurs this time in Carmichael. Again, the East area rapist told the victim he would kill someone if there was any press press coverage of the assault, but later told her husband he would kill if there wasn't any press coverage. He's completely insane. Uh, the first sketch of the subject, uh, suspect, excuse me, was released after this particular assault. Uh, the previous November, a man fitting the new description had packed town hall uh, some t- kind of town hall meeting about the ear and actually had stood up and criticized the investigation. This possible connection contributed to the impression that the ear was brazen enough to actually attend events dedicated to his own capture. During the May 17th attack, uh, the person, uh, oh, excuse me, the ear told the woman he was attacking, those fuckers, those pigs, do you hear me? I've never killed before, but I'm going to kill now. I want you to tell those fuckers, those pigs, I'm going to. To go home to my apartment, I have bunches of televisions. I'm going to listen to the radio and watch television. And if I hear about this, I'm going to go out tomorrow night and kill two people. People are going to die. You tell those fucking pigs that I could have killed two people tonight. If I don't see that all over the papers and television, I'll kill two people tomorrow night. Crazy that at this time, he is a police officer. Solving crimes by day, doing this kind of shit at night. Uh, Using his knowledge of investigations, clearly, to help himself uh, not get caught. Well, he then devoured cheese at crackers, half a cantaloupe, and then and took off. Well, the woman relayed those details to the investigators, who then relayed it to the local press, and the next day the Sacramento Bee headline read East Area Rapist Attacks number twenty three, next victims die tonight. And they included the quote, a probable paranoid schizophrenic, and also added that he was likely a homosexual or in a homosexual panic because of inadequate physical endowment. Oh, that had to fucking rile him. Imagine now they're just mocking his little dick in the press. I mean, clearly the press, they're trying to goad him into going into just berserker mode. They just wanted to fuck up and get caught, you know. Uh, you know, based on again a witness testimony, they knew he had a little dick. That god, he must have been beyond furious. I, I do wonder how much having a tiny dick played into him becoming a, a rapist. Huh. Uh, you know who doesn't care about how big your dick is? Uh, today's final sponsor. Time suck is brought to you today by Lisa Mattresses. Long-time supporter of the Suck Now. We love them. Driven by the mission to provide a better place to sleep for everybody, Lisa is an innovative direct-to-consumer direct online mattress brand that is also socially conscious. For every 10 mattresses Lisa sells, they donate one to a shelter through their 110 program. They also plant one tree for every mattress sold, donate 1% of each employee's time to volunteer for local causes, not to mention with a patented universal adaptive feel, is designed for all types of sleepers and features three premium foam layers, including a two-inch Avena foam top layer for cooling and breathability, a two-inch memory foam middle layer for body contouring and pressure relief, and a six-inch dense core support foam for durability and structure. I love sleep, and I love sleeping on my Lisa mattress. I wish I could somehow figure out how to recompress it, put it back into the, the box it magically arrived in, and then take it with me on the road. Hotel sleep, my back and my neck get all kinked, stiff, you know, kind of fucked up. I'm definitely got a stiff neck today. Sleep on my Lisa, refreshed, refreshed and ready to research the next suck. So try a Lisa mattress in your own home for 100 nights risk free, available in the US, UK, Canada, and Germany online. Free shipping, 100% American made mattress ships compressed in a box right to your door. Uh, You can try it at the Lisa Dream Gallery in Soho, New York City, or at Virginia Beach, uh, or at over 80 West Elm stores nationwide. And right now, if you act fast, take advantage. Of the extended Memorial Day, Memorial Day sale, excuse me, uh, you can get $160 off when you go to L-E-E-S-A.com slash timesuck. You're hearing this a few days later? Uh, still, hey, still go. See if it's been further extended. If not, there's going to be uh, a deal you can take advantage of. So go to lisa.com slash timesuck. Okay, back to my uh, uh, you know birthday, May 17th. Uh, 1977. Well, two days after that, actually, May 19th, a local dentist publicly announces he's contributing uh, $10,000 to the current $15,000 reward for tips leading to the arrest of Ear. And with another businessman, he forms the grassroots EARS East Area Rap- uh, Rapist Surveillance Patrol. Man, the whole community is getting involved trying to catch this guy. Less than 10 days later, May 28th, the couple in South Sacramento are fooling around at home and uh, half past midnight. When the sliding glass door to the patio opens and a man in a red ski mask enters and says, lay perfectly still or I will kill all of you. He says, I will kill you. I will kill her. I will kill your little boy. He then pushes her onto the living room floor where he'd already laid down towels in preparation for the rape that he now begins. And he says, I have something for you to tell the fucking pigs. They got it mixed up the last time. I said I would kill two people. I'm not going to kill you. If this is on the TV or in the papers tomorrow, I'll kill two people. Are you listening? Do you hear me? I have TVs in my apartment, and I'll be watching them. If this is on the news, I'll kill two people. It was a little after 4 a.m. when the first uh, officer enters the open rear patio door after the attacks uh, of the home. You know, He enters the home of the woman who called 911. He hears the woman call out, well, I guess the east area rapist is the south area rapist now. I mean, I don't think it's coincidence that after that, uh, you know, East Area Rapist Surveillance Patrol is formed, he, he moves south now for the first time. Uh, so he clearly is paying close attention to the press. I, it's weird how he keeps bragging about his TVs. That's like a weird thing. Like, just let him, I have a lot of TVs. Fucking, all right, yeah, everybody has TVs. What's, okay. He really seems to like want to make that clear. I I have plenty of TVs. I have enough TVs to watch stuff on, okay? Don't think that I won't be watching TVs like I'm some kind of guy who can't afford TVs. I have a, I have a, stop, 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 Sabbath, our TV. Um, September 6th, he changes his location up a little bit more. Uh, he rapes a 27 year old housewife near Lincoln Village, a little north of Stockton, about 45 miles south of Sacramento. The following month, October 1st, he returns to the East Area, raping a 17 year old girl who is visiting her boyfriend in Rancho Cordova. Three weeks after that, he rapes a woman in the East Area again, this time in Antelope, about 12, 13 miles northeast of downtown Sac. And, um, Rapes again in Sacramento on October 29th, and then again on November 10th, Uh, and that time he rapes a 13-year-old girl, Jesus Christ, in Sacramento. 13. Her name is Margaret uh, Wardlow, and she recently spoke to the San Francisco Chronicle about the attack, and she is one tough woman uh, who was one badass tough kid. She said she remembers being woken up with a flashlight in her face, a man with leather gloves standing over her bed. He told her to turn over and began to tie her up. At first, she thought it was some kind of joke, but then she thought, this must be the East area rapist. She said she knew all about him from reading newspaper accounts and watching TV. I felt like I had a bit of a dossier about him, which was really lucky. She said, not very many people have that before a rape that night. She and her mother had gone over to a neighbor's house to have dinner, listen to a new record. They hadn't locked their door because they had an 80 pound golden retriever at home and they felt generally safe in their area. She said it was a school night for her. So she went to bed early uh, when they got home, it was about 2:30 a.m. When Wardlow uh, woke up to find the man with leather gloves standing above her bed, he gone into her mother's room and stacked plates on her mother's back, threatening to kill her uh, and her daughter if she if he heard the plates fall. Something you know, again he had done another attacks. I absolutely understood that he got off on control by fear. Wardlow said, "I just wanted to make sure uh, to make him not get what he wanted, which was to see me fearful." And she said she stayed calm throughout the attack. He tied her ankles and her hands so tightly that the blood vessels popped out on her wrists, then blindfolded her and asked if she had had sex before. She told him no. And then she said he had a brief period of anal sex with me and then went in and out of the room. Jesus. Uh, I had this strong feeling of, what are you doing here? We have nothing here for you, she said. Maybe it was a kid's reaction to this stuff, but I just kept thinking, why are you here? Wardlow remembers that her mom started screaming at some point. And then she was able to get her ankles untied after he left, ran up the stairs where she uh, locked herself in the bathroom. Her mom came upstairs, too, and they called the police. And then the attacker, uh, you know, he had fled the scene. She said that she became discouraged relatively quickly when he wasn't caught and continued on his violent spree, but that she didn't want the attack to take over her life. I've never shed a single tear over this whole thing, she said. It wasn't like I tried to forget it, but it didn't play into my life. She followed the case on and off, but wasn't keeping close track. She was in San Diego on the night of D'Angelo's arrest, and when she got back from a movie movie and dinner with her husband, she noticed she missed two calls from a number with the Sacramento area code, and it was a retired detective who she'd never met but who she knew – but who knew, excuse me, about her rape. He told her that the man believed to be the East Area Rapist had finally been apprehended, and then she says, I was literally kicking my husband, saying, they've got him. They've got him. I barely slept that night because I was so ecstatic. And then Wardlow says she plans to follow the trial, maybe travel to Sacramento for some of it. I think justice will take its course now, she said. Man, what a fucking tough lady. And, uh, dude, what a fucking monster as well he was. Jesus. December 2nd, 1977, he attempts another rape in the East Area, chased off by two teenage boys before he can go through with it. January 28th, 1978, kicks in the door of a house near American River College in Sacramento, ties up two teen girls, sexually assaults them both. February 2nd, carries out the double homicide. He's been, uh, you know, telling so many rape victims he was going to commit for for a while now. And he murders Brian and Katie uh, Magori or uh, Magior. I can't, whatever. Brian and Katie, no disrespect. You know, you guys know how he, you know, names are tricky. Um, I think it's Magior. It looks Italian. Rancho Cordova. They were walking their dog at about 9 p.m. when they encountered their killer. As the confrontation turned violent, Brian, an administrative specialist at what used to be uh, a air force base east of Sacramento and his wife tried to get away. Uh, Detectives speculated that the suspect who shot the young couple in the backyard of a home as they fled was attempting to protect his identity. After they saw him, they died from their wounds at a Sacramento area hospital. Brian was shot in the chest. Katie was shot in the head. DNA obtained during the investigation linked their slain to the other crimes committed in the Bay area. Less than two months later, on March 18th, he rapes again in Stockton, about 45 miles south of Sacramento, rapes again in South Sacramento on April 14th, June 5th, 1978, he rapes in Modesto. That's the furthest uh, south he had been up to this point, about 75 miles south of Sacramento. June 7th, 1978, he commits a rape at UC Davis, 16 miles west of downtown. First time he ventured in that particular direction. This victim was a 21-year-old UC Davis student who lived in a multi-story apartment building, he entered the second-story apartment, through the patio sliding glass door, He was particularly violent with this victim, punching her several times in the face after she initially resisted. While raping her, he forcefully shoved her face into the floor. He left her with a broken nose and a concussion. January 23rd, rapes again in Modesto. Next night, the 24th, heads west once again to Davis, raping a 32-year-old housewife whose husband was in bed with her. Both were bound. Also present was the couple's 10-year-old son, whom the attacker locked in the bathroom. He rummaged through the house before returning to the female, moving her to the living room and raping her there. Prior to leaving the house, he also randomly stole 17 rolls of pennies. Little nod to his early ransacker days, maybe. July 6, 1978, rapes again in Davis, this time a 33-year-old mother of two at knife point. Uh, after initially saying he just wanted money for gas. October seventh, he travels over 65 miles southwest to Concord, rapes again. This time he forces the woman to tie her husband up as she uh, lay face down in the bed. Again, does the dish uh, stacking thing. Uh, he raped her for hours stole China from them before leaving. He strikes again in Concord uh, on the 13th binding and gagging the victim's husband an eight-year-old before assaulting her. October 28th he moves to the Bay Area for the first time raping a woman in San Ramon over 80 miles southwest of downtown Sacramento about 30 miles east of San Francisco. This is the at least the 40th woman he's attacked at this point because uh, again, there's always a the possibility that the other women uh, were attacked who just never reported it right? Uh, at this point, nearly uh, a dozen victims had already reported that he had uh, cried during attacks. He had sobbed, they said. He stumbled and seemed lost at points. He whimpered in a high-pitched voice. Again, the high-pitched voice, uh, like a child, saying, I'm sorry, Mom. Mommy, please help me. I don't want to do this, Mommy. God, fucking, that makes it more terrifying. Ah, m- m- mommy, I don't want to. Like, that, ugh. It's even creepier. It reminds me of, like, the dude in Silence of the Lambs, Buffalo Bill. Puts puts lotion in a basket. Just so fucking weirdly creepy. Uh, I do wonder if this son of a bitch will confess. I mean, I hope he does at least that right thing and just, you know, spills his motivation. You know, just, uh, just so the people who are victimized can fucking at least know a little more of what led to those crimes, I guess. On November 4th, he rapes in San Jose, South of San Francisco. December 2nd, he rapes there again. Uh, December 9th, rapes a woman in Danville, East of San Francisco. The police use a bloodhound this time to follow his scent and they find a dropped ski mask, uh, on, uh, April 5th, there's a rape in Fremont. 27-year-old woman is assaulted at Knife Point after being forced to stack dishes on her husband's back. June 2nd, 17-year-old is raped in Walnut Creek, 25 miles east of San Francisco. She'd been a babysitter, and for over a month, she'd been uh, regularly receiving anonymous calls as she babysat. The girl sat regularly for two families. In early May, uh, a, um, a nightgown and a telephone directory went missing from her house. Even so, she, she still didn't feel... Like, you know, like, I guess that threatened for whatever reason. No anonymous calls came uh, for the babysitter of Walnut Creek that Saturday night. There was no sense that a silent phone meant that an uh, alternate approach was being considered and planned. She was sitting at the kitchen table when she heard footsteps or a man's voice. She couldn't remember which came first, only uh, that he shot up suddenly as if spring loaded from the dark hallway and it terrified her and he tied her wrist tightly with plastic cables. Uh, He ended up biting uh, her left nipple. The detail from that crime. Uh, The same month, on June 25th, another 13-year-old is raped. Mary Brewert is raped in a home less than 100 feet from the previous attack. Uh, Man, she also spoke to the San Francisco Chronicle uh, after D'Angelo's capture. She said the night of the 25th, she was awakened by breathing and opened her eyes to find a masked man holding a knife against her throat. The ear had tied her hands and feet with white twine stuffed a bra in her mouth. He knew her sister was sleeping in the next room and her father was down the hall. He told her in a, quote, evil, scratchy whisper that he would kill her and her family if she ever made a sound. Before raping Berwert, uh or Burwitt, excuse me, he asked if she had ever had sex again. Uh, that day, that girl was gone, she would say later. After that, I was never going to be the same. He was a life-stealing, evil encroacher. He insinuated himself on my life and my family's life and my community's life and so many other lives. Her memory of the assault is still vivid and terrifying. Uh, Burwitt said that the man in the mask ordered her to remain quiet when he left so, he waited. so she waited silently for 45 minutes, saying to herself over and over, mind over matter, before she broke the ties on her legs and ran to her father's room. The look on her father's face when she woke him up still haunts her. Uh, she said he jumped out of bed, went to the phone, called the police, not knowing whether there was a rapist or not and still in the house. Uh, she tried to grab a kitchen knife, but her hands were still bound behind her. Get those things off her, her father screamed to her sister, who quickly cut off the ties and hugged her until police arrived. Investigators later told Burwart that the rapist had probably been watching her from a perch near the home, which had an open glass atrium and sat at the end of a long cul-de-sac. She said she's tried to forget the attack with the help from many family and friend uh, from friends and family members. She's had a a, a good life. She uh, She became a cheerleader shortly after the attack. I just wanted to be a normal person, and I wasn't going to let it stop me, but I felt I had a neon sign on my forehead, she said. It was a long time before I felt people couldn't see it anymore. Her father never got over what happened under his roof, she said. And uh, Armin Burward died of a heart attack less than three years after the rape at only 49 years old. I was his little girl. I believe it killed him, she said, crying again. He died with a broken heart. Uh, Burward eventually forged a successful career in retail sales. The arrest, she said, has lifted a tremendous weight off of her. If D'Angelo is convicted, she plans to cook popcorn and laugh heartily. He can sit and dwell on it until he dies, Burward said. We're now at the spot in the road where our paths are meeting again. I like my side of the road. Fuck. I love I love how tough these uh these victims are, man. Uh I don't even like to use the word victim, but I love how tough these people are who he happened to uh encounter all those years ago. I, I and I, I love the laugh detail. Hopefully, if he is found guilty, man, I truly hope his 72-year-old 72-year-old ass, excuse me, gets raped in prison. Uh by somebody with a much bigger dick than what he has. Poetic justice, right? Oh, man, I just uh, it fucking kills me when these guys get caught and they just spend the rest of their lives in prison. Just, you know, you know, doing arts and crafts, watching TV, having fucking wreck hour. I mean, I know it's not fun and games in there, but uh, I wish it was worse for those guys. Another rape occurs in Danville on June 11th, 1979. In late September of 79, a young, upset man in his early 20s approaches a woman in Galetta as she's leaving for work that morning. Galetta is over 300 miles south of San Francisco, almost 400 miles south of Sacramento. Uh, now, no article I can find says exactly where Joseph James D'Angelo, like exactly when he was fired from the Auburn Police Force in 79, but they all do say he was fired. And uh, I, I bet after he was fired, he headed south. Because now, you know, his criminal focus uh, goes way south. Doesn't seem like a coincidence. Uh, well, this man tells the woman that his dog had been stabbed in her backyard the night before. When he'd been walking the dog in the area, the young man in Galetta said that he'd been, uh, he'd exited a footbridge. Into the residential neighborhood, and that's when his dog Chemo darted between her house and her next-door neighbor's home. And then a sharp yelp broke the silence. Moments later, Chemo reappeared. The dog made his way unsteadily to the sidewalk, collapsed at the man's feet. The man turned him over. Blood oozed from a long cut to his belly. Uh, his dog had been stabbed. Luckily, he rushed Chemo to a vet, and the dog survived. And uh, and based on what I'm going to say next, it, that people do think that the uh, you know Golden State Killer also stabbed this fucking dog when he was taking out some house. Man, ransacking homes, raping women as young as 13, sodomizing them, beating them on occasion, already shot a few people. And uh, how crazy is it that this piece of shit would have the first of his three kids just over two years later in 81? Uh, less than a week after the attack on a dog, uh, the couple, uh, a couple, excuse me, would be attacked in Galetta just a few houses down from where the dog was stabbed. On October 1st, 1979, the ear broke in and tied up a Galetta couple when they uh, when they heard him repeatedly muttering, I'll kill him. The woman began screaming, alerting neighbors. The East Area rapist then fled on bicycle. The couple's next-door neighbor was an FBI agent. Uh, alerted by the woman's scream, he came outside just in time to see a man furiously pedaling past on a stolen silver uh, Nashiki 10-speed. The couple would be given only a general or the couple could give only a general description of the attacker, white male, dark hair above the collar, 5'10", maybe 5'11", around 25 they guessed. After this close call, well, none of his victims would ever live to describe him again. A few months later, on December 30th, again in Galetta, he makes sure the next couple does not identify him. He shoots Robert Offerman and Deborah Manning dead after tying both of them up. Robert was a 44-year-old orthopedic surgeon. Deborah was a 35-year-old psychologist. Neighbors reported that around 3 a.m., they heard a burst of gunfire followed by a pause and then another shot. Reports came in of ransackings and break-ins in the neighborhood in the hours before the murders. When a couple who lived on Windsor Court, a half mile from the Offerman's condo, pulled up. To their house at around 10, 15 PM, they spotted a man running through their living room toward the back door. As they came inside, they heard him jump the rear fence, a white male in a dark fisherman's hat and dark jacket was all they could say for sure. Uh, he also, as he, before he left, brutally punched their poodle in the eye. That's a quote, brutally punched their poodle in the eye. What the fuck is up with this dude punching and stabbing dogs? Like really? Like the raping and ransacking and killing just isn't quite enough evil for you. You have to, you have to punch a poodle in the eye as well. Gee, <laughs> March 13th, 1980, uh, the Southern California murder spree continues when, when he rapes and then kills Charlene Smith, kills her husband Lyman Smith in Ventura, just over 60 miles north of Los Angeles. He bludgeoned both of them with a piece of firewood. So it's just, his violence is escalating. Lyman Smith, uh, 12-year-old son from a pe- previous marriage, found the Smiths' bodies three days later. Jesus, so he's, he's got that for life. Lyman was a 43-year-old lawyer, and his wife was a 33-year-old interior decorator. Another couple dies in 1980, Keith and Patrice Harrington in Dana Point, roughly 60 miles south of Los Angeles. 24-year-old Keith, 27-year-old Patrice had only been married for three months. Keith Harrington was a fourth-year medical student at the University of California, Irvine. Patrice was a pediatric nurse, and they were both found bludgeoned to death in their home in an Orange County gated community. Uh, Patrice had also been raped. Investigators concluded that Keith was killed first and that Patty uh, was sexually assaulted. The chronology uh, chronology was planned for for maximum suffering. The amount of force used to bludgeon her revealed an extreme amount of rage directed towards her and likely women in general. is what investigators believe. Keith and Patty were found by Keith's father lying on their stomachs. Their arms were bent at strange angles, palms up. They seemed, according to Keith's brother, who also witnessed the crime scene, broken. Quote, were it not for the ceiling, you might think they'd fallen from a great height. Such was the spread of blood beneath them. Wow, man, he's getting very 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 savage with his attacks now. Uh another rape and murder occurs in nearby Irvine on February 6, 1981. This time the victim is Manuela uh Witun, 28-year-old Manuela's husband was sick and in the hospital at the time. Investigators believe that uh, the uh, Golden State Killer thought that the husband was home when he when he broke in. She was sexually assaulted before being brutally bludgeoned to death. They noted the massive head injury, ligature marks, some bruising on her right hand. There was a mark on her left buttock. The coroner would later conclude it was likely from a punch. Sadly, her husband David, who died in 2008, was initially a suspect in his wife's slain before DNA evidence cleared him. So, you know, how uh, he was terrorized as well by the Golden State Killer's deeds uh, in, in an extra way. On July 27th, Sherry Domingo and Gregory Sanchez were murdered, this time back up in Galetta, just a few blocks from some of the Golden State Killer's previous victims. 27-year-old Sanchez suffered a non-fatal gunshot wound to the cheek before being bludgeoned with a garden tool. 35-year-old Domingo was raped before being killed. Sherry Domingo was a single mother. The day before the murder, Sherry and her teenage daughter had gotten into a fight. Debbie had run away. She called her mom from the beach. The call ended with, why don't you just get the hell out of my life? And there, uh, you know, she slammed the phone down. And that, and that would be the last words that mother and daughter would ever speak to each other. Man, think again, think about how many lives this piece of shit has damaged in so many ways. Right? Like all the kids whose parents were taken from them, all the parents whose kids were taken from them, right? Kids who are, you know, at the home when it happened. How much is that going to fuck you up? How much is that phone call she had with her mom going to fuck her up? And none of this even counts all the ransackings, how many families, you know, he left feeling unsafe and violated after rummaging through their homes. Again, I just keep saying it, but if Joseph James D'Angelo was found guilty, I just, I want him to suffer so much. You know, like if demons are real, I hope they taunt the fuck out of him. You know, uh, no forgiveness, man. You don't get to cry your crocodile tears and be given another chance in this situation. Ideally, why can't they just like fill his cell? Like, you know, he's found Gilsey. Next day, his cell is full of about 500 rabid sewer rats. Let him eat him to death in just little tiny little bites, you know, chew that little dick right off. Uh, Or maybe just like let let him in for a little while and then take the rats back out. Let him just chew on him for an hour or so. And no, no, not yet. Not yet. Uh, man, if he's guilty, of course, man, just no redemption. Just too little, too little pooty. Uh-uh, you fucking piece of shit. After sharing Gregory are killed, it seems as, uh, as if the uh, East Area Rapist, a.k.a. the Golden State Killer, pushes pause on his mayhem. Uh, two months later, or less, depending on the exact date, his uh, – Joseph James D'Angelo's first child is born in September of 1981. Again, that does not feel like coincidence. In addition to the DNA evidence, man, his his life story really does line up with the crimes. You know, his wife is in the final few weeks of pregnancy. Maybe he doesn't have time for all the raping and killing. And again, how fucked up is that? They can just turn it on and off. But then five years later, the Golden State Killer comes out from retirement to strike just one last time. While Joseph's wife is a few months pregnant with their second child, he rapes and murders 18-year-old Janelle Cruz in Irvine, bludgeoning her with a pipe wrench while the family is on vacation in Mexico. A real estate agent discovers the restaurant cashier's body the day after she dies. Autopsy shows it blows to the head killed her. And then apparently, uh, again, if Joseph uh, James Dangel is the guy, he just seems to have left crime behind and gone on to raise three kids outside of Sacramento, become a grandpa, worked for years at a grocery store distribution center, you know, ride around on his motorcycle. By the 90s, when he still wasn't a, a suspect for even one of the terrible crimes he committed, you know, the only mark on his rap sheet still being that shoplifting charge back from uh, 79, he had to have thought that he had just gotten away with all of this for sure forever. And then less than two months ago, His old wife or sorry, his old life and all the disgusting choices that were part of it came rushing back. And now he sits in a cell awaiting a murder trial, knowing that barring some sort of dark miracle, he will never walk free again. And that takes us out of the life and oh, so many terrible crimes of the Golden State Killer and out of this timeline. Good job, soldier. You made it back. Barely. So, who eventually cracked this case? This case that was cold for so many years. While a lot of detectives worked the case uh, over the years, the one who stuck with it the longest was Bojangles. Yes, one eye, three legs, greatest pit bull detective the world has ever seen. He was brought in to take a look at the case on the afternoon of April 24th at 8 p.m. He took one sniff of an old mask, found at a crime scene over three decades ago, and by 8.32 p.m., he had his teeth on the suspect's throats. And by the time Joseph made it to the station, he was missing his dick, and Bojangles had a new tiny chew toy. Ah, if only they called him in earlier. Praise Bojangles. Good boy. Good boy, Bo Uh, But seriously, Detective Paul Holes is the man that cracked the case after two decades of police work. Paul's journey tracking down the GSK began over 24 years ago, back in 1993, when the now 50-year-old heartthrob was a fresh police academy graduate and forensic toxicologist. Uh, he seriously is called a heartthrob by many. It's a, it's a whole thing. There's a, there's a hashtag right now called hot for holes. I'm not, I'm not making I know that sounds like one of my bullshit things. Hashtag hot for holes. A lot of female true crime fans are apparently, uh, crushing hard on this dude. Hashtag hot for holes. Uh, I'm guessing that some other shit may show up when you uh, do an image search for that hashtag. Uh, a lot of dudes out there also hot for holes, uh, guessing they're talking about different holes. You know, I'm pretty sure almost all guys are hot for some kind of hole. The exact nature of the hole may vary, but there's a lot of guys who are hot for them. Uh, Holes graduated from UC Davis with a degree in biochemistry. Uh, when being hired in the crime lab meant you also had to go through police academy training and be sworn in as officer, uh, sworn in as an officer, excuse me. Despite his scientific background, after going to the academy, the lure of the chase was too much for him. It was more exciting to him than lab work. So he became an active duty cop instead of an evidence technician. But one day... Not long after becoming a deputy, he discovered a dusty metal file cabinet in the department library in the bottom two drawers there were forgotten manila folders labeled EAR. He said the, uh, you know, of course, the acronym for East Area Rapist. Uh, he didn't know that at the time. After pulling them out, discovering the sorted and unsolved cases inside, he was hooked. Over the years, he rose through the detective ranks to become the lead investigator for the Contra Costa, Contra Costa County District Attorney's Office. But the job had taken its emotional toll on him over the years, and less than a year ago, he made the decision to retire. And then with nine months left uh, before calling it quits, he came across GEDmatch, you know, that .com. He uploaded DNA from uh, ear crime scenes and started building the GSK's family tree. His team would steal time on weekends and during meetings to tediously plug holes in his family tree one by one. And then uh, and then Holes and his team were eventually able to discover who the raping killers great, great, great grandparents were. And then Branch, by painstaking Branch, he and a team created about 25 different family trees containing thousands of relatives down to the present day. And one of these forks, one of the many forks, led to the 72-year-old retiree quietly living out his golden years in the Sacramento suburb of Citrus Heights. Holes was intrigued by this man. After learning that he was a disgraced cop who bought guns during two different bursts of activity by the killer. So they do a little more digging. And Joseph uh, find that his life, you know, the timeline of his life kind of matches up with the timeline of all the crimes. Uh, Paul is able to obtain a warrant to swab the driver's side door of his car through DNA. And you know the rest. Joseph James D'Angelo is arrested in Citrus Heights on April 24th, 2018. At a press conference, Hull said, Everything else up to this time had failed. For 44 years, law enforcement has been trying to solve this case. That's crazy. 44 years since the very first uh, Vesalia ransacking. No other case has had more resources poured into it in the history of California. The role of genetics in this case is well known, but this account reveals for the first time the massive scope, intricate science, and sheer doggedness of the effort to catch one of the nation's worst serial predators. Yeah, initial DNA work, identify distant relatives, you know, not the suspect. Hole said a team of uh, five investigators spent four months building out those family trees name by name, pouring over census records, newspaper obituaries, gravesite locators, police and commercial databases. Find each relative, and then ultimately find D'Angelo, man. Hole plans on writing a book about the two and a half decades he spent tracking down this killer. He's also secured an agent to negotiate the film and TV rights to his story. And uh and this new type of DNA detective work is leading to even more arrests, which we're going to talk briefly about after today's idiots of the internet. Idiots of the internet. 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 To check in with today's idiots, uh you know, I checked out a recent video titled How DNA Analysis Led Police to the Golden State Killer, published by SciShow. That's SCI show on May 4th. And it's, you know, it's about what you think it's, it provides in under six, six minutes, a nice summary, uh, intelligently presented of the DNA database investigating detective holes and his team did it. It's great. And underneath this video user, Tyler Matthew Harris, uh, posts, why are we okay with the government having access to our DNA? Are you fucking, are you serious, Tyler? We're okay with it. Or at least I am in the context in which it was used here. So pieces of shit like the Golden State Killer can be apprehended. That is why we're okay. Some of us, you know, we want them to be taken off the streets and punished. I mean, imagine if this type of technology existed after rape number one instead of rape number 50 plus, or imagine if it existed after like, you know, the first ransacking or the 10th or the 20th when no one had been raped or killed yet. All those future crimes would have been prevented. That is why I am okay with it. If you don't have anything to hide, why do you care? Right? The government doesn't have access to DNA information, by the way, that people want to remain private, Tyler. Uh, they didn't access the Ancestry.com uh, or 23andMe.com databases. They accessed the information people willingly made public when they uploaded their results of their DNA analysis to GEDmatch.com. That is why uh, I'm okay with it. Uh, <laughs> this was a random one. I, I just the Stuff like this cracks me up. User WeTube posted one love in the comment section. Just that's it. One love. Uh okay. Uh how do you feel that this uh comment is even remotely relevant to any kind of discussion about the Golden State killer? Uh what exactly does one love have to do with the, the GSK or catching him uh or the technology <laughs> used to catch him? I, I always think about like these people in real life. Like if they if like if you spoke like you posted, you know, just had the same intellect level. Like, like imagine if Detective Holes acted like uh like WeTube. At the press conference, announcing that his team had apprehended and charged Joseph James D'Angelo. I'm guessing he would not be a, a, a heartthrob right now. Some reporter was like, uh, Detective Holes, can you, can you tell us how you caught the Golden State killer? One love. One love, everybody. Thank you for your time. That's all. Uh, user Bree Fujimoto immediately replied with, you sound like a Korean boy band. Ex- exactly, Fujimoto. Exactly. Uh, user Radix posts, in other words, if anybody in your family has ever used a DNA service, you are in a database that can be searched by cops without a warrant. To which user Devon Clancy posts, if you put private info into a public database, that info becomes public? What? No way. I love the like tons of A's and the what's. Love the sarcasm, Devin. God bless you. Uh, yeah, Devin Clancy. Exactly. Is uh, is this Tyler Matthew just posted under a different username again? If you fucking murdered someone, Radix, and one of your relatives put some shared DNA willingly on a public site, yeah, they should absolutely be able to use that information to catch you. If you haven't, again, if you haven't killed or raped anybody, why are you worried? So much pushback on this in the comment section, by the way. A lot of it. I don't like it. I'm very pro-freedom, but when it comes to assisting law enforcement to catch violent offenders, I'm going to give a little bit of that freedom up. Throw my DNA around all that you want. I have nothing to hide. Uh, user Peter Welsh goes super sleuth and catches what no one else in America was smart enough to notice. He's that much more intelligent than the rest of us. Peter posts, so he's going to go free because the police stole his identity. By using his DNA to set up a fake account, they broke the law in attempt to enforce. That's a big fat no-no. It's big fat no-no, you guys. Somebody put Peter in touch with the Golden State Killer's public def- uh, defender. Peter is going to have him walking out of that cell in under five minutes. No one, I mean no one, knows DNA law like Peter Welsh. Better luck next time, Detective Holes. You just got Welsh. Uh, And then we have our weekly virtue signaler. For a bit I was worried that they weren't going to show up. But then user PyroMen321 posts, This Golden State Killer guy is a real jerk. We thought it. You said it, PyroMen321. You lit the internet on fire with that one. You virtuous flamethrower. Someday, if he gets a marked grave, which I hope he doesn't, I do think it should be inscribed with, here lies a real jerk. And that's it for today's Idiots of the Internet. Idiots of the Internet. 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 All right. Before we, uh, before we recap. And add a little bit of new info. I want to talk uh, a little bit more about DNA investigations because that's uh, what we do here on The Suck. We give that extra info that the other podcasts uh, covering the same subject aren't going to touch. Hail Nimrod. Uh, A SeaTac man was arrested Thursday, May 17th. Man, my birthday again. Keep showing up in The Suck. For the death of a Vancouver, B.C. woman killed 31 years ago in Western Washington along with her boyfriend. Thanks to more ancestral DNA-based sleuthing. Tanya Van uh, Kulenborg and Jay Cook of Vancouver, BC, were murdered in 1987, and William Earl Talbot II, 55, was just charged with their deaths. On November 18, 1987, Van Kulenborg, 18, and her boyfriend, Jay, 21, left their home in British Columbia for an overnight trip to Seattle. They arrived in Port Angeles around 4 p.m. from the Victoria Ferry, bought a ticket at six, uh, 10 16 p.m. in Bremerton for the ferry to Seattle. And then uh, later, uh, Van Coolensburg's body was found in a Skagit County ditch in a wooded area off Parsons Creek Road, November 24th. Uh, She was sexually assaulted and shot in the head. The Cook family van was found the next day in an abandoned Blue Diamond parking lot in Whatcom County. The day after that, Cook's body was found in Snohomish County along Crescent Lake Road near Snoqualmie River. He had been strangled. The DNA evidence detectives collected during the investigation did not match any profiles in any law enforcement database. The Snohomish County Sheriff's Office and the Skagit County Sheriff's Office worked with Parabon Nanolabs, just very recently, in the last few months, DNA Technology Company in Virginia, to create an image of the suspect using a process called phenotyping, predicting physical appearance and ancestry from unidentified DNA evidence. They released a series of images of what the suspect may have looked like at the time of the deaths. And then from there, the digital file containing the DNA genotype data derived from the crime scene was also uploaded to GED match. Promising matches were found. For two of Talbot's relatives, and those d- relatives led police to William Earle, who actually uh, closely resembled the uh, <laughs> the projected description. And then they collected William's DNA from a cup he used. And, and another suspect is behind bars thanks to very brand spanking new technology. God, and, and, and investigators predict that a lot of cold cases are going to be solved in a similar fashion. This is very, very fucking cool. Uh, all right. couple last thoughts on GSK. You may have heard he taunted victims and authorities with phone calls and letters. I mentioned a few calls. Yes, he quite possibly did, or others did impersonating him. We still don't know if it was him or not. He sent a poem to the Sacramento Bee in December of 77. It's long, shitty, and boring, and we just had fun with poetry on Friday, so I'm not going to read it. Uh, basically, it just goes on about how smart he is and how they should make a movie about him and about how Sacramento deserves what he's given him. Uh, he's a piece of shit. Investigators also found three notebooks near one of the crime scenes in Danville that they believe to be from the GSK, the first notebook uh, contains an essay on General George Armstrong Custer. It's so weird. It's like from his childhood. The second contains a journal-style entry where the author writes about how a school teacher uh, who made them write lines and how humiliating he found that experience. Like so weird that this was him, that he's carrying around uh, you know, a journal entry where he's talking about how mean his teacher was in sixth grade. Like what a fucking maniac. This is what he wrote in one of the entries. Mad is the word. The word that reminds me of sixth grade. I hated that year. I wish I had known what was going to be going on during my sixth grade year, the last and worst year of elementary school. Mad is the word that remains in my head about my dreadful year as a sixth grader. My madness was one that caused by disappointments that hurt me very much. Disappointments from my teacher, such as field trips that were planned, then canceled. I swear to God, my sixth grade teacher gave me a lot of disappointments, which made me very mad and made me built a state of hatred in my heart. No one ever let me down that hard before. And I never hated anyone as much as I did him. Disappointment wasn't the only reason that made me mad in my sixth grade class. Another was getting in trouble at school, especially talking. That's what really bugged me was writing sentences. Those awful sentences that my teacher made me write. Hours and hours I would sit and write. 50, 100, 150 sentences day and night. I write those dreadful paragraphs which embarrass me. And more important, it made me ashamed of myself. Which in turn, deep down inside, made me realize that writing sentences wasn't fair. It wasn't fair to make me suffer like that. It wasn't fair to make me sit and write until my bones ached. Till my hand felt every horrid pain it ever had as I wrote. I got madder and madder till I cried. I cried because I was ashamed. I cried because I was disgusted. I cried because I was mad. I cried for myself. A kid who kept having to write those damn sentences. My angriness from sixth grade will scar my memory for life. And I will be ashamed for my sixth grade year forever. I don't want to write any more sentences. I don't want to write anymore. God, what a fucking maniac. If that's and then the last notebook was like a map of what appears to be a, a suburban neighborhood with the word punishment scrawled across the reverse side of the paper. Can somebody be that specific kind of crazy where because you had to write a lot of sentences in sixth grade and you had a couple of field trips canceled that – Then you go on and rape and murder. If he actually confesses that in court, if there was true justice in the world, he would immediately just have like a fucking sledgehammer smash a skull in. No. What? Are you fuck? serious? Because you had to write sentences. You're like, I'm so mad. I'm going to make the world suffer from my sentences. Oh, my God. I just thought that was so weird. I wanted to include it. Also, in 77, uh, someone complain, uh, claiming to be the ear called the Sacramento Sheriff's Department numerous times, saying stuff like, I'm the East Side Rapist and I have my next victim already stalked. You guys can't catch me. Uh, numerous victims were also called after being attacked. How messed up is that? The last call came back in 2001, April 6, 2001. One day after an article was published in the Sacramento Bee confirming the original Night Stalker and the East Area Rapist were the same person, a victim of the East Area Rapist received a call from uh, somebody. And uh, this person asked them, remember when we played before hanging up? Jesus Christ. Uh, well, how do you like the game you're playing now, Joe? Guessing it isn't ending how you envisioned it. How are the uh, fellow inmates treating you? How's the, how's the food, buddy? How does it feel to go from uh, being the one who had all the power to the one who has none? I hope to let you listen to podcasts in prison. I hope you let let, let uh, get to listen to this one, you little dick piece of shit. Uh, guessing your three daughters are now having nothing to do with you. Hope they abandoned you to rot there. Hope you want nothing more than just to kill yourself but lack the means and ability to do it. And you have to keep waking up to the ongoing nightmare you made for your fucking self. Uh, it'll be very interesting to see what comes up in the trial. At the moment, uh, we don't even know exactly when it's going to begin. So now, uh, let's just recap uh, what we've learned with some top five takeaways. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Number one. Crime scene evidence, including DNA, shows that the Visalia Ransacker, the East Area Rapist, a.k.a. the original Night Stalker, and the Golden State Killer are all the same man. And it seems as if that man is 72-year-old Joseph James D'Angelo. Number two, if Joseph really is the right guy, then police have just solved one of the most important cold cases in U.S. criminal history. Catching a man believed to have committed at least 12 murders, more than 50 rapes, and over 100 burglaries in California— from 1974 to 1986. Number three, after getting away with all of his crimes for over three decades, the Golden State killer was tracked down using a genealogy website by Detective Paul Holes. When the match came back from detectives taking some DNA off of Joseph's car, which was parked at a hobby lobby, how excited were those guys? Over thirty years and finally a match. Surprise Holes didn't show up at the press conference with a wrist broken from all the high fiving that had to have been going on around the office. Number four, if Joseph James D'Angelo really is a guy, not only do, uh, you know, we know that he's a ransacking, raping, and murdering piece of shit. We also know he has a tiny dick, and I think that detail is fantastic. Number five, new info. I'm guessing a fair amount of you listening uh, who are somewhat familiar with the case keep thinking, when is this son of a bitch going to talk about Michelle McNamara? Well, right now. Michelle McNamara was a true crime writer who was married to one of my favorite comics uh, of ever, Patton Oswalt, before she died in April of 2016, and she was obsessed with the Golden State Killer. Patton and her research assistant, Michelle's research assistant, Billy Jensen, finished her book about Golden State Killer, uh, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, One Woman's Obsessive Search for the Golden State Killer, published posthumously. Uh, Of course, she is, in fact, the person who coined the moniker, the Golden State Killer. And her book was one of the primary sources for this episode's research, and she's credited for helping keep investigators interested in this long, long cold case. Uh, Pat Oswald interviewed Detective Holes recently, hot for Holes, and uh, and said Holes told me he regarded Michelle as his investigative partner. She wasn't just writing shotgun with me. He also offered some insight into the politics of the force, saying law enforcement is funny because even though, particularly in this case. Were the model of an interagency cooperative. Uh, There are still territorial boundaries. Michelle had the freedom to call anyone she wanted, whether it be victims or witnesses or original investigators across various jurisdictions. So she talked to people that I hadn't and found out details that weren't written in the case files, and she would pass those details on to me. So very cool. She wasn't just writing about true crime. She was actively helping solve a case. Bummer she couldn't still be here with us when they caught him. But pretty cool that Patton is standing in for his deceased wife. Uh, Yeah. Uh, You know, now that he's been caught. So rest in peace, Michelle McNamara. Time suck. Top five takeaways. The Golden State Killer tossed in the suck pile. Ah, man, got to say, thank you. Thank you for the wisdom of our space lizards. Uh, They voted in that topic. And I'll be honest, I wasn't interested in it uh, initially. Didn't know much about the Golden State Killer. Didn't really care to learn. but. So glad I do now. That was a very fascinating story for me. Fascinating ongoing story. Love learning about the new detective uh, procedures. I had and I had no idea that that piece of shit terrorized California for so many years. And uh, yeah, it's it's weird how some criminals become more infamous than others. Like Richard Ramirez way more infamous, you know, previous to the last few months in the Golden State Killer, even though Golden State Killer had committed far far more crimes. Uh, Cool learning about detective holes. Uh, Hot for holes. Uh, hope that dude makes a fortune on his book. He earned that shit. And big thanks to the Time Suck team, Harmony Velikamp, Jesse Dobner, Reverend Dr. Josh Krell, Alex Dugan, the Bit Elixir app team, Danger Brain, uh, merch maestro Eric Radeker, and queen of the suck, Lindsay Cummins. Huge thanks to Bojangles Research Department OG now. Heather Rylander for jumping on uh, Golden State Killer Research, doing an amazing job in a short amount of time. Gave me so much to work with. Uh, Bojangles and Nimrod are pleased. And uh, Lucifina is pleased. You know, Lucifina likes a dark topic and, uh, and she loves that the Golden State Killer has been captured. She's uh, not a big fan of the raping, Lucefina. Hail uh, hey, Lucifina! Coming up next Monday, I'm very excited. We go back to the life and crimes of the Ma Barker gang. So another criminal suck, but totally different era. Be some interesting history we can explore. Great excuse also for some American old timey crime talk, right? Been too long since that Bonnie and Clyde suck. That's one of my favorites. I love this era. Ma and her boys robbed and shot whoever got in their way. Basically, whoever uh, stopped, tried to stop them from robbing from uh, 1931 to 1935, uh, 1935, excuse me, all over the place. It was one of the longest crime sprees for uh, one of those gangs like the Dillinger Gang and, you know, those other gangs during the Great Depression. Bank robberies, store holdups, kidnaps, ransoms, shootouts with coppers. They did it all. And they they paid the price for it. And we're going to dig deep on all that next week, and it's going to be glorious. Right now, it is time for those Time Sucker Updates. Updates. Get your Time Sucker Updates. First update today uh, comes in from Time Sucker Christian Eves. Came in a while back. I had to think about it for for a bit before I answered it. Uh, Christian writes, Dan, couldn't help but notice that you called Joan of Arc a mentally ill woman numerous times in the episode mainly when talking about how she claimed to hear God's revelations or when she refused to take off her men's attire. I'm confused as to exactly why you think she's mentally ill. Is it is it the fact that she believes God is speaking to her and is following what she believes to be her higher calling, or is it the fact that she wouldn't take off her men's attire? If it's the former, then you've basically called Christians mentally ill, and it couldn't be the latter because you dedicated a whole Time Suck interview towards why being transgender is completely normal in your opinion. Food for thought. Please read this email with an open mind. I take all of your viewpoints with the same open-mindedness. Keep on sucking, Christian. Well, good points, Christian. Uh, Good thing to bring up. And, uh, yeah, I do have an answer for this. Uh, It's definitely not, yeah, as you've assumed, the transgender thing, you know, uh, because, you know, her wearing women's clothes doesn't mean anything to me. doesn't bother me. Uh, I could give a shit if she's transgender. And I don't think being, yeah, transgender equates to being mentally ill. The the wearing men's clothing because God's angels told her to is what I think makes her mentally ill, and that is different than than how most people, uh, you know, who are religious, believe in their faith. I feel like uh, most people with faith, you know, they they read the scriptures, they listen to their their pastor or or reverend or iman or whoever tell them about you know quote unquote quote God's word, you know, the, the scripture of their religion, and then they try to act their lives accordingly. You know, according to those ideals and they can have, they they can believe that and probably do, you know, often do believe that all those things in the, in the scripture happened, but it's, that's very different than God actively talking to you personally, like, like as a, as another person would talk or sending emissaries to, to speak on God's behalf to you, to give you a specific mission that screams of mental illness to me. Uh, I have heard a lot of, uh, people actively talking to who they believe God is and almost all of them, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, blatantly mentally ill people living on the streets of Los Angeles, you know, like paranoid schizophrenics and people with different disorders, you know, just, uh, talking to, uh, figures that were not there. So, you know, there is a, a, uh, you know, large population of people who do have mental illness, who do talk to people who don't exist, who do hear voices from people who don't exist. And I and I, I think that, in my opinion, is what, uh, you know, is part of Joan of Arc's story. You know, like uh, like my neighbor wants to, but that's, but that's not like a knock on religion. That really isn't. Because again, most people do not experience religion in that way. I hope you understand that. You know, like my neighbor wants to talk to me about God's word in some religious sense. Okay, that's fine. I will talk, you know, but my neighbor wants to tell me what the mother Mary or what mother Mary has been recently commanding him to do. Now we're not going to talk about that. I'm going to, I'm going to call a local mental health uh, center and I'm going to find out what I need to do to have someone come evaluate him, you know, because I for sure think he is mentally ill. Does that clear that up? And again, I, and again, I do realize that doesn't mean they necessarily are just in my experience, <laughs> the people I've encountered that, uh, you know, think God is talking to them again, in my experience, uh, clearly not being talked to clearly very mentally ill. Okay. I hope that clears it up. Yeah, now a fun message from down under, uh, from down under sucker, Jess Mulroy. Love my Australian listeners, man. Uh, Jess says, hey, Dan, I've been listening to Time Sucks since you released your second episode. That's fantastic. Uh, I used to type your name into Pandora, and you're responsible for so much of my comedy discovery. Yeah, sorry Pandora's not in Australia now, but I'm on Spotify. Uh, I just wanted to get it out there that you become a weird kind of imaginary friend to me. I like it. I'm a cleaner in Byron Bay, Australia, and since I work alone, I spend so much time with my headphones in. I listen to you so much that I even go through times of being annoyed by you when I've listened to exclusively your stuff for days on end, and then missing you when I run on a podcast. That's hilarious. I love this relationship we have. You've gotten me through some really shitty times and been there when I just want to laugh. I have a pet pig, and if he hears your voice on my speaker at home, he he whines at the door for me to come outside so we can listen together. I love it. No questions here. I just want to go I just didn't want to go any longer without letting you know that your love of learning and your ability to be humble and caring to your listeners is refreshing and appreciated. Uh mama always said uh if, if someone is important to you, don't let it go unnoticed. That is adorable, man. Sorry for the rant. Don't be sorry at all. Hail Nimrod. Thanks again. Love Jess and Piggy Smalls. I love that your pig is named Piggy Smalls. Well, thank you. Uh I love I love that you have uh, allowed me to spend that much time with you. I truly am honored when when people tell me stuff like that. Uh, And I love – you. spread the word, man. Spread the suck down in Australia. It's the only way I'm going to get down there for a tour. I really want that to happen someday. Uh, Another fun message from an unnamed sucker whose email handle is Hi, I'm Paul. says, whoa, I'm back again, and this time it's better than ever. Somehow you've managed to change my life in so many ways, from making friends to finding new interests, and surprise, surprise, you've done it again. Recently, for my school's drama program, I decided to do an original stand-up routine for a student showcase, and the class loved it. I was inspired by your comedy and wrote my own original jokes on the topic of Love. The main joke was that I used christianmingle.com and that my username was come get psalms, uh, like at come get psalms. Uh, I didn't think it was very funny, but I got nominated for our class award ceremony for both best line and most memorable. And I owe it all to you. Suck, Lord. Thanks again and always. And I hope you don't mind me writing into you. Fuck no. Uh, you're just a really major part of my life now. Thanks again. Keep on sucking. Well, you keep on sucking. And congrats, man. Don't downplay your award. Be glad that you've won it. All awards are good, man. Enjoy those victories, they're tough to come by in life. Relish it, and that's uh, that's awesome, man, and that's 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 very cool, and uh, yeah, thanks for all you guys for writing in, uh, and now a Poe update from time sucker Austin Steers, who says, attention Reverend Dr. General Suckington uh, the second, I just listened to the Poe bonus suck, and notice you mentioned that uh, the two-finger flip-off, and where it comes from, yes, the going theory is that it comes from English longbowmen in the Hundred Years' War showing their ability to still fire arrows. However, it comes from that because when the French would capture English archers, they would amputate the index and middle fingers because the English archers were incredibly deadly accurate and would demolish French forces. Oh, shit, that's interesting. Thus, when an archer was still in possession of those fingers, he would display them and basically say, hey, I still have my fingers. Fuck you, Frenchie. You were definitely on the right track, but hopefully that uh, extra little info clears it up uh, as to how it came about. Hope you have a good day. Keep on sucking. That's really cool, Austin. I love that, and that that makes sense. That may, It makes more sense now that you've described it in that way. Thanks for teaching me something. And uh, and finally, uh, another Poe update from sucker uh, Thomas Fogg, who says, Hey, Dan, quick update on the Edgar Allan Poe suck from my girlfriend, actually. I didn't even notice at the beginning of the episode when you were listing things that Poe is the father of but upon the, uh, the request of my girlfriend Sarah, I rewound and found it. In the interest of giving credit where credit is due, especially to historical women, the mother of modern science fiction is Mary Shelley. You may remember her writing a Frankenstein. Yeah, Frankenstein. yeah, no, I did reference the, her, her book in the episode. Yep. But you may not be aware of her many short stories, poems, etc. Most notably to me is her poem, and it's uh, Ozymandias. Uh, I believe it's how you say it. It's a fucking tricky word. Ozymandias. Or Ozymendias. Ozymandias. Ozy- Ozymandias, which is a poem about, uh, the Egyptian Pharaoh Ramsey II and about the finite nature of life and how even the most powerful, important people of the day die and lose any permanent progress they make in this world. It's most notable to me because this would be the poem that led to Alan Moore naming the anti-hero Ozymandias in his most popular and famous works, Watchmen. Yeah. And i I can, I, I know that I know it on the written page, but man, that's a motherfucker to say, I watched a pronunciation video like for like 30 seconds, a minute, Saying it over and over again, and I'm still like, yeah, I don't think I'm saying it right. But I digress. Poe can be credited with many things, but science fiction goes to Mary Shelley. Yeah, you know, I probably did mess up there. There's all these people when you read about like Poe and Mary Shelley, you know, it's subjective somewhat. Where There's different people giving credit to different people. And I did talk about how Mary Shelley's Frankenstein did lead to the horror, modern horror novel, and just described that about leading to Poe. But yes, I, I did not realize her work in science fiction. And uh, and I do love the Watchmen, but didn't realize that had come from her. So, yeah. So, hey, that is cool. I'll give credit. I'll give credit to Mary Shelley. Well done, Mary. And well done, uh, Thomas Fogg and your girlfriend Sarah for pointing that out. And that's all for this week's Time Sucker Updates. Thanks, Time Suckers. I needed that. We all did. Well, thank you for listening again, suckers. Uh, Please keep spreading, rating, reviewing the suck. Have a great week and uh, don't ransack, rape or kill anyone. Keep your tiny dick rage in check and keep on sucking.